Brought to you by Moonbeam Multimedia. This is 16 to 1, a podcast about education, teaching, and learning. How was your Thanksgiving? I was going to say, yeah, I was going to say break, but it wasn't really a break. No, the next break is kind of a break. I think it's a sham and I think we should stop acting like it's a real break because it's absolutely not a real break. From from the end of November to the new year, it's a mad scramble. I agree. Especially for educators. The next one is a little bit of a break. Uh Uh-huh. So we'll take it. You have a few more days off in a row. Thanksgiving was fast. It it sure was. That's my report. It sure was. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so a little bit of housekeeping. Speaking of that, we won't see you again until after Christmas. We take two weeks off a year. It was Thanksgiving week, and then the next one is going to be Christmas week. So we won't see you for a little bit, but this is a Tide Me Over episode. We're talking about a fun thing this week. Mm -hmm. Notes on the new year. We are doing our 100th episode, although it's not going to be the first one of the new year because we somehow (laughs) miscounted. It seems to be a thing we do every single time we try to figure out when episodes are or how many they're going to be um yeah so it's going to be the second episode of the new year i believe will be our 100th episode Mm -hmm. so we're still hoping to hear from you write in ask us everything you ever wanted to know about teaching being a teacher we're going to put katie on the spot about some of these questions get those questions into us for the faq episode by uh by december 25th we'll put the show together sometime shortly after that so um i'll prep yeah and study then, the questions and be ready. Yes, we're going to make sure. I'm going to make sure that at least some of them are surprises, though, so that you're not. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. It's, this It'll be out of pocket. You, no, it'll just be like a pop quiz. It's I, I love just those. the same sensation. Perfect. Okay, no headlines this week. We're skipping our news headlines because we're going to take a little bit longer to talk about our show topic, which is really fun for us. We're talking about Sesame Street. And then just a final one. If you do like the show, we'd love it if you tell a friend, a colleague, a captive carpooler, whoever it is who listens to podcasts, we'd love it. <laughs> someone <laughs> if, who's trapped with you. Yeah, yeah. Yes. If you try, if they're trapped, even better. Tell someone you know about the show. We That's how we grow, and uh, it's all word of mouth. We really appreciate you tuning in and listening. Yeah, we do. Without further ado... Sesame Street. Sesame Street. I can't believe this wasn't on a list sooner. Yeah. It should have been up there. I think we might have talked about it briefly in our edutainment episode, but I maybe like not. we referenced it, but yeah. even then we never thought, we didn't give it, why not? We didn't give it the credit yeah. that is due to this institution of American television, Sesame Street. Okay. Chelsea, let's start with the important question. Okay, yes, please. Who is your favorite Muppet? Ooh. You know, when I you first, we were prepping for the show and you first asked me that, I really couldn't remember nearly as many of them as I should have. And I said Big Bird because I like Big Bird. But looking back and after watching a few episodes again in research for this episode, mm-hmm. I changed my answer because I remember that it was really more like Bert and Ernie. I mean, mm-hmm. they're kind of a unit. So I think of them yep. as, you know, That's I a- really like them. Yeah, and I liked Oscar the Grouch. That surprises me zero percent. Yeah. yeah. That's very on brand for you. 
Yeah, I would love to live in a trash can and tell everyone to just leave me alone all the time. Scram. It's really not that far off from my personality in real life. Yeah. But I, but no, I really... dream. I know. I love the witty banter of Bert and Ernie, though. Yeah. I'm I here agree. for it. What about you? I... Look, it's simple. I'm a big bird girl. I've a always been a big girl. bird girl. Okay. I love Grover. Mm, mm-hmm. He cracks me up. Yeah, Grover is a good one. I liked him in every movie. You uh-huh. know what I mean? He's a classic. Mm-hmm. You can't go wrong. And I had to throw an animal because he plays the drums. Oh, okay. Was Animal on Sesame Street? Th- th- I couldn't remember if that was just a Muppet or... Oh, was he not a Sesame Street guy? Hold on. Oh, I don't know. That's okay, though. He can still be your, your favorite Muppet. The Muppets are created by Jim Henson, who was working on Sesame Street at the same time. But the Muppets kind of existed independently mm-hmm. of Sesame Separately. Street and then got absorbed into yeah. Sesame Street. Yeah. So, Big Bird for sure. Mm-hmm. Grover. Mm-hmm. Did you have a Tickle Me Elmo? I did not. My sister did. Okay. Did you? How? I didn't. Okay. I was a little bit too old. I think we were just a little too old for the Tickle Me Elmo. My sister's a little bit younger than me, so that would make yeah. sense. The woman who babysat me loved Elmo. Like, my adult babysitter, Jackie. Okay. She, she loved Sesame Street. Loved Elmo. Thought he was the sweetest thing. He is her sweet. husband got her a Tickle Me Elmo the year that they went wild. Amazing. And I remember showing up and it was like the most prized possession. Yes. Like I could not believe there was a Tickle Me Elmo. Even like being a little too old for it, I was like, look at it. You yeah. Know? The only feedback I have about Tickle Me Elmos is that if there's a particularly strong thunderstorm. It can set them off. It will set off. And yeah. then I forget, is it you squeeze their hand or something? I thought you like hugged it. You like hug it or squeeze it or something and it sets off a little thing. And you can do that a couple times. But if you do it too many times, then he goes into this like super long giggle fit. Yeah. Yeah. One time I remember my sister was asleep in her bedroom and there was a thunderstorm and it this thing and it shakes. It like jiggles. So he's just laughing hysterically and shaking her bed in the middle of the night, wailing a laugh. And it was the weirdest thing. I think if right now somebody handed me a Tickle Me Elmo, it would probably bring me to tears. I would I would feel so much joy Aww. about... His laugh is just so contagious. Like It is true. His Twitter cracks me up. Yes. Like, his entire... Like, Elmo is just a fan favorite, so... I mean, everybody loves Elmo, but I'm really more... I'm really more into the Big Bird, for sure. Definitely. One of the funny things about doing the research for this show was, one... Other than it gave me a reason to read about Jim Henson and the Muppets and everything and watch an incredible documentary that we'll talk about. It also gave me a chance to like talk to my parents about my childhood, which was really fun in their <laughs> childhood. Mm. And I have a very distinct memory of going to Sesame Street Live back in the 90s in Columbus. Sesame Street Live, is that what you said? Mm-hmm. Okay. It was like a live touring show that they did. And they did, like, songs and skits and whatever on a stage. That's fun. And my parents, we were trying to remember how old I was. And their best guess is, like, three. You were little. I remember it, but I was so small that when the lights went out, I, like, freaked out and was, like, ready to go home. I was afraid. Oh, and Because the it got dark. Yeah. Okay. So I did see Sesame Street Live. My parents said that it was their idea to take me. So I was young enough to not have, like, asked to go, but young enough to love it. And I think that my mom and I agreed that they got me a light-up Big Bird at the show. A light-up Big Bird. Yeah, I got on eBay and started, like, shopping for, like, 90s Sesame Street Live merch. And I found the Elmo, and I sent that to them. 
and they sent me a picture of what we think I had, like which was like a light up Big Bird stick. Cute. I think he was probably like sounds very nineties. It was very nineties. Uh-huh. So I would say that my Big Bird commitment started young. Okay. I'm on th- I'm on year thirty. I'll probably stick with him. Yeah, I is one of those situations where I recovered a lot of memories while doing the research because yeah. I when we were watching some of those episodes and clips and stuff, I'm like, wow. I watched a lot of this, yeah, and I had forgotten how much. I was like, I remember this. I remember this. Yeah. Just watching random it, episodes. I'm 33, and it felt good to watch yeah. Sesame yeah. Street. So, okay, shall we jump right in? Yeah, let's get into it. Oh gosh, this this story was so much more than I ever thought it was going to be. So this is fun. Okay, so if you don't know and you haven't put it together yet. I'm trying to imagine in what world somebody doesn't know a Muppet, but it could happen. Sesame Street is an American educational children's television show that combines live action, sketch comedy, animation, and puppetry to teach basic educational concepts to young viewers. But what's cool about Sesame Street is it's very watchable, even for older viewers. This is like second nature to us now. Children's television is, you don't realize, but it's all in the same mold and it, the mold is Sesame Street. Yep. That it was the first. Mm-hmm. It, it's probably one of the best. So it was conceived in 1966 and the story goes that a television producer named Joan Gans Cooney according to all the stories that we read in the research had a dinner party and at this dinner she was hosting was the Carnegie Foundation Vice President Lloyd Morissette. So that's sort of like where the seed was planted. A meat cute. Yeah. So Joan said in one of the interviews that I watched of her that at one point she walked into her living room and her child was watching the TV, but it was the test screen. Like this was back when TV only ran like whatever, how many hours a day. Uh huh. And so she walked in and was like, her kid's just staring at color blocks. Yeah. Right. And it says like, air will start. So whatever the show will start soon. And she was like, oh, gosh, like we have to figure out something to do with this, because if children are choosing to sit and look at just color blocks on a screen, we know that we need to harness that. Better make sure we put something substantial and educational in front of them. For sure. So from that dinner, we're going to jump ahead a few years to November 10th, 1969 on National Education Television, NET which was an American educational broadcast television network that was owned by the Ford Foundation and then later was co-owned by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, Sesame Street aired. Mm -hmm. And it ran there until October 5th of 1970 when it was pretty quickly moved to PBS, our public broadcasting service, which was NET's successor. Um, Even today, if you were to turn on PBS... You will still see the most recent seasons and episodes of Sesame Street. However, now they first air on HBO Max, and then they come to PBS nine months later. Mm -hmm. So you will see them, but it takes longer to get there. It's been an evolution in the way the program works, just because of how TV works now and Mm -hmm. streaming and all of that. Yep. So Sesame Street is the longest-running children's show. They have released more than 4,600 episodes since 1969. Jeez. The name comes from the idea of open sesame. Like there's a lot to learn and see inside of this street and these characters and the Muppets and all of these people. And we came up with a list of some of the most famous appearances or the most entertaining appearances of uh, celebrities that have made an appearance on Sesame Street. Yeah. 
So here are a few of the ones that we pulled. And we actually did watch some of these episodes, too. Mm -hmm. So, okay. A few of our favorites. We saw Johnny Cash, James Taylor. There was a great Dizzy Gillespie moment. Um, One of the early episodes featured James Earl Jones just reading the alphabet. He's just, like, staring into the camera, being extremely James Earl Jones with his voice just, like, completely... Booming. Yeah, just Just like, like E. But he's got, like, no emotion. He's just, like, blank, staring at the camera. Being very dramatic and reading the alphabet. It's fascinating. The astronaut, Buzz Aldrin, Jack Black, Carol Burnett, all of the Backstreet Boys. All of them. Also NSYNC. I didn't put them on the list, but I feel like I should have. Harrison Ford. Yes. Fergie. James Gandolfini, who talked about being afraid of the dark. Which is fantastic. I love that. Tony Hawk, Ice-T, Billy Joel, B.B. King, Spike Lee, Kenny Loggins, Sir Ian McKellen, Don McLean. The Metropolitan Opera, Bill Nye, <laughs> just Michelle Obama, Pink, the astronaut Sally Ride, Fred Rogers, that's Mr. Rogers? Mm-hmm. Oh, God. A crossover, might, if you I will. I might cry. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld, Lily Tomlin, Usher, Weird Al, and Robin Williams. Yep. And Robin appeared multiple times. I think several of these people were probably on yeah. other ones. It's fantastic. So, I just picked all of my favorites that I yeah, recognized no, from that no, list, but there that are was the right choice. There are so many. There are so many. I just yeah. There's an entire Wikipedia entry dedicated to so cool. celebrity appearances yeah. on this show because there have been so many episodes. But it, those were just some favorites that I picked out. So yeah, it's a there's a legacy. I I'm gonna have to watch the James Gandolfini. Clip. <laughs> I really want. I know. I need to go find it. I want to hear him tell me about being afraid of the dark. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Tony Soprano telling me about being afraid of the dark. The Johnny Cash one was also very like. It was so weird because he was in like a blue jean shirt, mm. and he had like beautiful. Like he was younger and had like this beautiful hair, and he was just singing with a guitar. It was just. It was so striking to see the man in black, on Sesame Street. Mm-hmm. You know singing in oh and we also saw on the video or on the movie we talked about paul simon Mm -hmm. paul simon was singing on a stoop too that Mm -hmm. was very cute okay so you mentioned this but just for a little bit of history of how this show was created it got a really interesting start there was like a focus group from this creator joan cooney who you mentioned she had she kind of was given like a budget basically a budget to go do a bunch of research about what captivates the young learner and TV watcher. And as we'll learn, there are some assumptions made in the television production process about what kids would and wouldn't like that turned out not to be true that we might not ever have known had it not been for the research that they did to make Sesame Street, which I thought was really cool. Mm-hmm. So Joan Cooney is obviously worried about the the test screen situation. It's like, how do we make this appeal to kids without kind of overstimulating them without them becoming kind of mindlessly addicted to it. What does that, what does that look like? And there's this kind of fun quotation from that Max documentary and it's called street gang. I think is the name of the documentary. Is that right? Mm -hmm. That was what you and I watched yesterday as our final prep for this episode. And it was kind of fun, but in that documentary, someone who was talking about Joan Cooney and they said that what she is doing for television would be what television would do if it loved people instead of trying to sell to them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just really fascinating. Cause I mean, television is by and large a advertisement delivery yeah. mechanism. <laughs> so like explicitly uh, Sesame street has educational aims and goals. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what Joan Cooney set out to do. 
Along the way, the show partnered with John Stone, who was a writer and producer for the show. He wanted a show that didn't run adults out of the room and didn't talk down to children at the same time. And I do feel that way, that Sesame Street successfully Mm -hmm. did not talk down to kids and does a pretty good job of that balance. In that Um, documentary, they had Muhammad Ali talking about loving that his kids watched it because he liked watching it too yeah and he basically was quoted like oh i know you can learn from it like i am learning from mm-hmm. it so if you can watch muhammad ali be like oh yeah i learned you know so john stone was very politically minded uh he was heavily influenced by the vietnam war not only in new york city but also what the world had going on in the late 60s and at first he wasn't at all interested in sesame street or the show that would become sesame street Joan Cooney got a hold of him and she discussed with him what her intention was. And that was to target black and minority children who were living in cities. That's who she wanted to make this show for. And he loved it. He loved the idea. He agreed with her politics. And that's why Sesame Street is set on a street in New York City. She recognized that those faces were not represented, especially, uh, certainly not among children's television, because it really wasn't children's television prior to this. I know that's it's such a weird thing to say, just like the time before children's television, but mm-hmm. like, it, this, this is, is a it. new thing. And uh, so Joan Cooney is pretty committed to making sure that the show at least represents a range of mm-hmm. kids who would want to see themselves represented on, you know, a fun and learning and educational opportunity like that so there was there was way more focus than i ever realized on presenting especially at this time an integrated cast Mm -hmm. i just didn't know that that was so explicitly part Mm. of the goals of the show so yeah so one of the other big names in the foundation and the building and the creation of sesame street is lloyd morissette who we've mentioned earlier and lloyd was at the dinner where Joan came up with the idea for this TV show for children. But he was also a co-founder of the Children's Television Network. And Joan Cooney called him the father of Sesame Street. And so essentially Lloyd had asked Joan if if she thought that TV could be used to teach children, and she knew that it could. And so he hired Joan to do a feasibility study to Mm -hmm. see if it was possible to do anything with this idea. And if so, what would it look like? How could it work? The the start of Sesame Street was an $8 million budget, and the bulk of that money actually came from the federal government and the Office of Education, Mm -hmm. because we didn't have a Department of Education yet. There's no no (laughs) department yet. But as they were building it, this group with John Stone, Lloyd Morissette, Joan Cooney, they started bringing in child psychologists, famous authors like Marie Sendak, teachers, other professionals from the TV world to try to build a show... That would be entertaining. That could keep everybody in the room, but it would still be teaching them. Yeah. And they were all really worried about accomplishing that goal because quite literally nothing had ever been done like Sesame Street before. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things that grabbed me, especially when we were watching the documentary, the idea that you're producing a television show with people who are not at all in television. And I just wondered how well that would go over these days. I mean... Now everything is so like data driven anyway that I'm sure that mm-hmm. people see the value of including those different voices in the room when crafting a television show, especially mm-hmm. an educational one. But they were saying that at the time, especially, it was kind of seen as a crazy thing to ask a bunch of teachers to come and sit down and help you write your television yeah. show. Yeah. So it's, yeah, part of the struggle that they had, though, was trying to imagine what does a show look like? And they got to the point where... 
the documentary talked about this, but they decided on Sesame Street, the street itself being where the living happens because in New York City, that's where the entertainment is. It's on their streets. Those are That's the community. And so that was the focus for why the setting had to be there. And so as they were trying to build what would become Sesame Street, John Stone came up with the idea to invite this guy, Jim Henson, to these meetings. And Jim Henson was really interested. He wasn't sure what they would do, but he liked the idea of it. And so they started performing tests on children. So they had the children sit in a room, and on one side of the wall that they were looking at, there was a slideshow, and on the other side was the TV that had clips from maybe upcoming skits or something that might be featured on the TV show. And the psychologists and the people creating the show would watch the kids and see when they started paying attention to the slideshow. Because if the children were watching the slideshow more than the TV, they knew that it wasn't captivating enough. And so as they did more and more film tests and things like that, they realized that the only thing that was really captivating the children were the Muppets. There were other scenes of just like adults or whatever in the city streets talking about, you know, moral lessons or, you know, whatever it would become. But that wasn't catching them. I remember that there are scenes that more heavily focused yeah. human actors, and I would just be like snooze fest yeah. during those okay, Hooper. scenes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. So those tests are what showed them that if Jim Henson and his Muppets aren't on board, they're going to be kind of in trouble because that's what the kids were into. Well, the thing that I thought was so interesting about that was that they assumed, and this is what having teachers and psychologists in the room is good for, they assumed that kids would freak out if the Muppets appeared next to the humans, mm-hmm. they're like, it's kind of like we have to separate our fantasy and fiction worlds mm-hmm. here because if we mix all this together, yeah. kids are going to be confused or scared. That yeah. was the assumption. But it turned out that was just like not the, the opposite yeah. was the case. The other thing that they had to factor into this was at the time, Jim Henson's Muppets were a late night comedy sketch. It was not children's shows that they were doing. So they they had to reimagine him and his Muppets into what is appropriate for children yeah, and make that work. And yeah. so that was a, you know, that was a separation from what Jim Henson had been doing for quite some time was because the Muppets, as they appeared late at night, were like, basically it was TV geared for like college age students. Yeah. It was kind of weird. We watched some clips. Yeah. It felt like sketch comedy-ish, like SNL, except mm-hmm. it's Muppets. Yeah. <laughs> it's and the, they're like dubbing music yeah. and like performances and things like that. So like singing and just yeah. all kinds of weird stuff, but these strange puppets yeah. uh, doing it instead of humans. So all of those things had to combine in a very specific way because the Muppets weren't, you know, children friendly up until then. I don't want to say that they weren't children friendly, but they were geared for an older audience. Well, I got to be honest with you. I never really understood this difference either because I knew that they were different. Yeah. Like, I knew the Muppets were their own thing, mm. but also they were always on Sesame Street. Sure. And I just, yeah, the overlap. Now I understand mm. much better the... Very different. Just different entities and licensing and all of this stuff. But yeah. So luckily, John Stone, Lloyd Morissette, and Joan Cooney were able to find that perfect mix with Jim Henson where the stories could live on right Sesame Street and be an active part of it but also include these Muppets that the kids just love to watch so I want to talk about the educational and cultural philosophy of Sesame Street 
A lot of this originates with uh, what was originally called the Children's Television Workshop. Um, now it's called the Sesame Workshop. It's the nonprofit that's behind Sesame Street now, but they've existed for a long time. I pulled their mission statement from their website just because I think it does a good job of encapsulating what the show is all about. It says They say that for over 50 years, we have worked at the intersection of education, media, and research, creating joyful experiences that enrich minds and expand hearts. With a mission to help children everywhere grow smarter, stronger, and kinder, we reach families in more than 150 countries with playful early learning so we can empower each generation to build a better world. Our beloved characters, iconic shows, outreaching communities, and more are rooted in deep expertise and designed to meet children's most pressing needs. From building school readiness to encouraging playful problem solving, from supporting emotional well-being to promoting positive self-identity, Sesame Workshop is here for children and families as every caregiver's valued partner and every child's trusted friend. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about how much fun it would be to have a job doing this kind of thing. We were talking about the theme song, which Mm -hmm. has been updated a couple of times but never really changed but they did like do different instruments it's a little more yeah well they changed all the instruments they've been used a couple of times and maybe have like shortened it or something like mm-hmm. that i was just thinking about how much fun it would be to write music for sesame street mm-hmm. that would be just wicked awesome i would love that but anyway the show uh, always has and continues to represent a collaboration between tv Producers and staff, actors and puppeteers, and educators. It's very important. Mm -hmm. And the goal of all of this from the beginning was sort of to harness the power of commercial television, but focus attention on learning and community and friendship and curiosity and these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Um, You and I talk about this a lot now. The the modern equivalent of this is how do we do this to the internet, personally, I think. What does the internet look like if we're not trying to just sell, but to Mm -hmm. make people curious anyway that's the kind of question that i feel like i face but they were doing it for television as we talked about from the beginning sesame street was explicitly an integrated television show they were trying to represent different races on a show on network television at a time where there was a lot of pushback Mm. there were even people in parts of the country like boycotting or not airing episodes of Sesame Street because there were were simply so many black actors on it and they were like, well, we don't know. Which is just... Anyway, just some characters and themes in addition to that that they talked about, uh, especially from the documentary, they mentioned that there's an idea that of of seeing yourself represented in different kinds of characters and people. Big Bird is sort of like a childlike and relatable if a bit naive Mm -hmm. uh, character. You've got Oscar the Grouch, who ends up being proof that there are mean people, but we have to learn to live Mm -hmm. with them and around them and uh, coexist with them and, you know, bring them into our conversations. It's touched on so many themes. And I think one thing I appreciate about Sesame Street is they don't pull punches for young audiences. Mm -hmm. So they done things like how do we talk about death, Mm -hmm. which for really young audiences is really, really difficult. But, Uh, They did it in a really interesting way because one of the actors on the show died in real life and they had to have a conversation on the show about the absence of this cast member Mm -hmm. all of a sudden. And it's a really interesting episode. Big Bird doesn't quite understand the the existential conundrum. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, they have to kind of walk Big Bird through what death means. And we didn't watch that clip because I was curious about how they would handle something so difficult. And they said that they even interviewed psychologists and things like that to make sure that the way that they were handling it was appropriate. Mm-hmm. 
And so they, the whole cast is kind of, like Chelsea said, kind of trying to help Big Bird understand that Mr. Hooper, the store owner, won't be returning. Yeah. And he won't be seeing the him. Perma- they're like dealing with the permanence of death on yeah. a children's television show. And it's just, I was like, this is actually pretty good and it was really beautiful it yeah. was i mean we we both watched this last night and we're crying at different points so it obviously it still struck a nerve but yeah i can appreciate their intention yeah in handling really tough things well they've also confronted with such things, grace yeah i was gonna say they've also confronted like national tragedies yeah. like they had an episode that dealt with the aftermath of 9 11 yeah. they talked to a, a new york city firefighter mm. on the show and you can kind of tell, I might be reaching, it kind of feels like Elmo has a little bit of PTSD or something y- like that. Yeah, because yeah. even after the scene has been cleared and safe and he can return, he's standing there like shaking and he needs a lot of reassurance and they go yeah. to his level to try to meet him. To They don't, To just to quickly note, they don't recreate 9-11 on the show. No, no. <laughs> There's a restaurant fire and Elmo is there when it happens yeah. and that's like a the kind fire. of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like a parallel, the parallel. They don't go for the, the heaviest yeah. hit no, on no, it, no. but they do a good job. They of, do. Uh, and it was neat because the firefighter was like, I look big and scary, but my suit does this and this helps me breathe. And so, you know, the things that would make a firefighter surely very scary. Mm-hmm. They're able to calm Elmo yeah. down with. He was something like, I might look scary, but we're here to help you. Mm-hmm. So don't run really away nice. from us if you're in a yeah. fire situation. Which is a great point yeah. to make because yeah. I could see how if I was a child and terrified, I might be resistant to a big guy like that. So. Yep. I continue to be impressed with the show's ability yeah. to tackle culturally, uh, socially, yeah. economically, even sometimes mm-hmm. difficult conversations yeah. and they all unfold. So on, like, on a more personal note, my family we recently had a death in the family and uh my aunt passed away and my cousin has two young kids and and her youngest is maybe five i think we decided maybe six somewhere around there but this would have been his great aunt passing so this was the first death that he'd really experienced it's the first time to my knowledge that he'd been to a funeral or anything like that and it was really interesting to watch him process death and grief yeah. at his age. Yeah. And it felt um, a lot like the Sesame Street. It did. So he was just very literal. He was. He was like, she's in the box and that mm-hmm. was her coffin and they put her in the ground, you know. And so hearing my cousin's son talk about it and then watching this, it was like, I'm getting choked up. It was really wonderful because that is how they do it. Mm-hmm. You know, kids don't understand. But it seems so fitting that they handled it that way because we had just seen him go through it. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about him when we were watching that episode. Now I feel like I might need to send my cousin that clip and have her show it to him because it's just it's really well done. But anyways, watching him kind of go through that experience and then watching Big Bird, I felt like they did it right. It made me feel good to know that kids have access to something that does such a good job of trying to understand something so awful mm-hmm. for them. So Mm -hmm. it was, it was pretty touching. So just a couple of words about the legacy of Sesame Street. Obviously, 
you and I have a lot of memories and feelings about the show. Cut to us both crying, <laughs> watching the show and recording this episode. Um, it, it, it's been an American institution for quite a while. Writer Michael Davis said that by the 1970s, the show had become an American institution. It certainly still is one, I would think, even if it's maybe not quite as popular as it was in its heyday, just with the competition that on sure. the, you know, in the children's television market now, it's like... Much more saturated. Yeah, so much noise. There was a point in the uh, in the early 80s, I think 81, the federal government withdrew its funding for the show and the Children's Television Network pivoted and expanded to other revenue sources, which I thought was pretty interesting just in the evolution of this thing. You know, they started a magazine division, we got book royalties, product licensing, foreign broadcast income. Mm-hmm. They sort of use all of these as alternative re- revenue sources. They also expanded the curriculum to include more effective topics like relationships, ethics, and emotions at this time. And then we sort of fast forward to 1990. Mm -hmm. In May of 1990, Jim Henson passed away. He was only 53 and a super sudden sickness, basically. There's a clip of Big Bird at Jim Henson's funeral, and he's singing Kermit's famous song, It's Not Easy Being Green. Actually, at the time of Jim's death, he was in negotiations with Disney to purchase the company. Yeah. And uh, after his death, the negotiations fell apart. That's the Jim Henson company, yeah. just to be clear. Yeah. He was selling his part of the whole mm-hmm. process. Yeah. And so uh, currently, the Jim Henson company does still exist, and it is run by his four surviving children who are all board members. And then it has another group, obviously, that still works with them. But yeah. The Jim Henson work continues. I do believe a couple of the properties uh, of the Jim Henson company Mm -hmm. ended up being sold to Disney at one point. Yeah. Almost like parceled off Uh certain sections of the company, Uh sold that to Disney. And then anyways. Yeah. But uh, it still does exist. Mm -hmm. And they're still doing programming and um, they have assets that they've retained as well. Yeah. So by the end of the 90s, (laughs) this is pretty familiar to us, but there are pretty big changes at that time in children's TV viewing habits. We start to get competition from other shows. The competition, development of cable TV uh, being a big deal. There's a drop in ratings around this time. It prompts some big changes Mm. in the show. So starting around 2002, they (laughs) changed the format a little bit to be more narrative focused and to include ongoing storylines. I got to say, I didn't really notice that in the newest episodes Mm -hmm. that we watched. We watched like this year recent episodes and it felt like that sketch kind of thing like it always felt it was like. evergreen yeah, yeah it didn't really feel narrative driven which uh, so maybe they've shifted yet again maybe um, just understanding the muppet characters that were new to us yeah would be the narrative factor that maybe but. is it after its 30th anniversary in 1999 due to the popularity of elmo the show incorporated a segment known as elmo's world mm-hmm. it I, deserves it I didn't know if that section that we watched, there was like an animated yeah, part. I'm guessing that was it. Yeah. So there's like, we were watching this newest season's episode and it was kind of just going along looking like what I remember Sesame Street looking like. And then there was a section that was just a- an animated segment mm-hmm. of an Elmo adventure. So maybe yeah. it, they didn't call it Elmo's World, but maybe that is what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2009, the show won Outstanding Achievement Emmy for its 40 years on the air. Mm-hmm. And then we get the contemporary era, so that started kind of in late 2015. Streaming has obviously crushed the television landscape in many interesting ways, Mm -hmm. but to kind of evolve for the streaming world, they made a five-year programming and development deal with HBO, 
and HBO started airing first-run episodes of Sesame Street, I guess 2015, maybe a little bit later. So they became available on PBS stations and websites nine months after they aired on HBO, like you mentioned. At its 50th anniversary (laughs) in 2019, they had produced over 4,500 episodes, two feature-length movies, 35 television specials, 200 home videos, and 180 (laughs) albums. Its YouTube its YouTube channel has almost five million subscribers, and they have been recognized by the Kennedy Center. Yeah, they're kind of Among a, big, a million other things. They're kind but, of a big deal. But I was actually watching today the video of um, Big Bird and Tom Hanks at the Kennedy Center. Oh, Awards. that's fun. That's yeah. fun. He Big Bird was walking through the aisle and he goes, "Does anybody know who Thanks is?" Oh no! And he just keeps saying, "Yeah, my card says I'm supposed to be beside Thanks, T. Hanks, sir. Do you know him?" And Tom Hanks is like. Yeah, <laughs> it's really cute. <laughs> That's pretty cute. Yeah, it was cute. Like I said, we did watch an episode from the most recent season. There was at least one Muppet who spoke Korean, another mm-hmm. one who spoke Spanish. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were talking about the same phrase, but in their respective languages, which is really interesting. And the ep- the whole episode, one of the kind of overarching themes of it was following two of the human characters who root for opposing baseball teams which is pretty interesting yeah they're like listening to a radio yeah the whole idea was like we can kind of connect even though we have differences and what we care about and like and things like that they have the usual kind of like fun songs about friendship and stuff i really liked the cooking segment this is the one that was sticking in my head they made vietnamese spring rolls and there was an explanation of what it means to julienne vegetables. And I was like, what? So cute. <laughs> it was so cute. And the spring rolls looked pretty good, yeah. honestly. I was were they like impressed. live human spring rolls or were they Muppet version spring rolls? They were live human spring rolls. Oh, okay. They really chopped vegetables. I didn't know if they like, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, Muppet no. Food. It was real. It was Muppets, <laughs> but they made it with real That's really cute. ingredients. Can you imagine it, those puppeteers down there? I cannot. <laughs> I cannot. They did kind of do some hand wavy, oh, look, they're chopped. Yeah, (laughs) the potatoes. Uh, But I just thought that was so interesting. I'm like, man, I think I would have been all for that cooking segment as a kid. That's cool. The basic format is still very recognizable. I will say I think the lights and colors and sounds and stuff are brighter and louder and more attention grabbing than I remember them being when we were kids. It felt like it feels like it's been ratcheted up for a screen driven, internet driven world. Or you also were like immediately noticing the music difference. Ah, yeah, yeah. The they've changed the theme song a couple of times. I think I mentioned, but the the music was kind of weirdly. But you pegged who it was immediately. Oh, uh, I noticed it sounded like Lin Manuel Miranda, and he's been writing off yeah. and on for the show for a while. Yeah. It, it definitely feels like it. Just the chord structures and stuff. It sounded. Sounded very well, Lin Manuel. He has quite a signature as yeah, far yeah, as yeah. recognizing him. But so. I mean, it's a formula that works, and kids love it and are used to it. So it's not surprising to to hear something of his yeah. influence in the show. But yeah, it was just as fun to watch as I remember it. Yeah, it did what I remember it doing. So it, it was fun to go watch for an sure. episode for sure. It's one of those things that it it does feel like seeing an old friend to watch them again. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that the Muppets are are just kind of universal in that way. A lot of the things we were reading was that the Muppets were friends for people. And I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I think that speaks a lot to the relatability and the work of the people who were so dedicated to make sure that it was for children to learn. So as always, we'll put our sources in the show notes. Like I said, we really enjoyed the Street Gang, How We Got to Sesame Street, HBO documentary. That was a lot of fun to watch. 
We looked at the Britannica article on Sesame Street, how we got to Sesame Street by Jill Lepore and the New Yorker. The unmistakable black roots of Sesame Street. That's kind of talking about some of the push for integration Mm -hmm. by Brian Greene and Smithsonian Magazine. And then just a couple more resources that we'll throw in from the Wikipedia and from the uh, Joan Gans Cooney Center and stuff like that. So, but yeah, it was really fun to just go in and even dig around in the original episodes Mm -hmm. and all of these things. And uh, I also love knowing that it's not going anywhere. Yeah, I certainly hope not. Yeah. I'm a a little concerned because Max, HBO... They want to be called Max now, I guess, but HBO seems to be going through some weird moments. So I hope that the I hope that the partnership continues to be fruitful for Sesame Street, yeah. uh, even as the streaming wars kind of Wait, evolve yeah. and whatever. But it truly is an institution, and it, it was definitely fun to go watch some of those episodes. Mm-hmm. And if I could just recommend anything, find some outtakes of the Muppets because you will be crying, laughing at Big Bird cussing. Oh, and- it's funny. Robin Williams walking off set because he, you know, it it is these puppeteers, those actors are every single mistake that they made as a human happens in the puppets world too. Uh-huh. And it was I mean, we were laughing out loud at oh, yeah. some of the clips last night of it's just funny. them messing up. I, I really do highly recommend the documentary because you can see a lot of clips of them filming the show and the way that they have to hold these puppets and the way that they're looking at the, mm-hmm. like they look at little TV screens while they're yeah. puppeteering. It's it's really interesting. The whole just the whole filming process. It looks kind of grueling to be quite it honest. It looks like it'd you. be very uncomfortable to do. But they look like for the most part they're having a load of fun. I didn't know how groundbreaking it was. I didn't either. I didn't know how much research went into its creation. It's uh it's really neat. Yeah. What a great thing. We were better for having lived in a world with Sesame Street. That's Absolutely. For sure. Okay, are we ready for a fill in the blank? Yeah. Would you like to do last episode's question? This is kind of a you sure. question. In 1806, two years after her husband's death, along with several other women, this famous widow founded the Orphan Asylum Society. In 1821, she was named first directress and served for 27 years in that role until she left New York in 1848. In those roles, she raised funds, collected needed goods, and oversaw the care and education of over 700 children. By the time she left, she'd been with the organization continuously since its founding, a total of 42 years. The New York Orphan Asylum Society continues to exist as a social service agency for children. Today, it is called Grand Wyndham. Who was that famous widow? And that was Eliza Hamilton. Mm-hmm. And she talks a little bit about this work at the mm-hmm. end of Hamilton. So, mm-hmm. Eliza And then this episode's question. I found this while researching. (laughs) I like this one. Yeah. The original prototype for Kermit, the famous Jim Henson Muppet introduced in 1955, had eyes made of what? So cute. Okay. What did you learn in the last couple of weeks over Thanksgiving not break? Can I say two things? Oh, sure. Most episodes, I can't remember one. Okay. So I'm going to bank one now. Alrighty. So next time I don't have to do this. I don't think that's how it works. Well, I got two. So here we go. Number one. Maya Angelou, famous poet, uh-huh. wrote Hallmark greeting cards Wow! later in her life because <laughs> she was often called America's poet, of course. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she um, was quoted as saying, if I am America's poet, then I want to be in the hands of people who don't read books. And so she started writing for Hallmark and a bunch of people were like, this is horrible. This is trash. Whatever. It was seriously lucrative for both of them. 
her cards sold like so well. Wow. And um, I had no idea. Yeah, that was one of the things that she did later huh. in her life was write Hallmark greeting cards. Okay. But what I typed is what I learned. There are only about 25 blimps left on Earth. Did that shock you? Uh, yeah. Did you expect more? Probably. Okay, I thought so. They're just so inefficient, it turns out. Mm-hmm. They're not worth the trouble of them. They're too much effort. They, they're they not that productive of a machine. No. Right? Very susceptible to issues. Yes. Um, I would not get in one. You wouldn't? No. Oh, I am shocked. It's not our I didn't know you had limits on dirigibles. I... <laughs> I, I'm not going to get in a blimp. I'm probably not going to get in a helicopter. Really? I'm not going to get in something that... Yeah, before, but you the can reason, get on a plane because yeah, it can land itself. It can. I mean, it, presuming it's Reasonably. not some sort of catastrophic explosive event, you can land okay. an airplane Let's not talk about that, that has a failing engine. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Well, anyways, the Gracefully. suggests... It turns out there's only 25 blimps left on Earth. Yeah, yeah. I've included a link to the question, how many blimps are left on Earth from mental floss? Because my students were talking about a TikTok that they saw. I could not find the TikTok, unfortunately. I'm sure that now I'm talking about it. I'll see it tonight. Probably you will. But the TikTok was actually of a woman at a hockey game in Uh Columbus, Ohio. Oh. At Nationwide Arena. Because within Nationwide Arena, there is a small blimp that floats around and drops things. Do you remember that? Uh Uh-huh. So she's basically sitting there going, I can't believe I'm in the same room as one of the last 25 blimps on Earth. <laughs> and it's an Does that stadium. even include like the little stadium blimps? She, it's probably like big. I'm guessing so as ones. well. Like but, Goodyear blimps. And but stuff. that's what made me Google wow. how many blimps are left on Earth. That's not a lot of blimps. So anyways, I'll include the link to the mental floss article where I found how many blimps are left on Earth. Okay. What'd you learn? Huh. Well... Okay, this is not an ad. I'm just going to throw it out there. But I learned that there's an alternative to Squishmallows. They're called Squishables. Squishables. I'm not sure which one came first. Don't ask me. The chicken or the egg. I am just going to say that the options available in the Squishable world are much closer to what my, my heart desires. We've got Cthulhu, Plague Doctor's, a little Mothman, some demon frogs, and mimics, just to name a few. So, obviously, some of those have spooky D&D kind of overlap, things like that. Definitely go check them out. They're just fun if you're into that kind of thing. That's mm-hmm. what I learned. We had a friend come down to visit for my birthday recently, and she told us about that. And yeah, happy I, birthday. Yeah, thank you. Way to go. Another trip around the sun. You did it. I did it. All right. Any final thoughts wrapping up Sesame Street before we go? No, that was just so much fun. Yeah. We hope you have a good Christmas holiday coming up. Just one more time. We're not, we're going to be taking off another week. So we won't be here uh, for our regularly scheduled next episode, but we'll see you in the new year. If I owe you stickers, can you email us again? I have shipped out stickers recently. It's true. But I just want to make sure that they're going where they should. Yeah, I, I, I did have, send out them recently. I have no idea how we're ever going to know if those stickers got halfway hope, around the world. I hope they're listening. Yeah. Because I shipped them to Turkey uh-huh. and Qatar. Yes. But we've sent out others. So yes. I'm trying to make sure that everybody who wanted them got them. So if you'd like some, email us and tell us your favorite Sesame Street character or a Muppet. And I'll send you some uh, stickers. All right. 
We'll see you again in the new year. Happy new year. Bye-bye. Always be learning. That was, that was new. Always be learning. Every day I'm shuffling. <laughs> that was a good one. Listeners, thanks for supporting 16 to 1. We're your co-hosts. I'm Chelsea Adams. And I'm Katie Day. Find our show notes, archives, and resources, sign up for our newsletter, or get in touch with us via the contact form at 16to1.com, all spelled out. We are so grateful for our listener support. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing to the show and telling your friends or colleagues about it. The show is edited and produced by you, Chelsea Adams, and you're also responsible for our show's music. And you, Katie Day, serve as lead researcher and social media manager. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next show. We're kind of fangirling over Sesame Street right now. That's okay. I feel very overwhelmed by how much I'm excited by this. I don't know what to do with this much serotonin. My body rejects it.